The Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging presents The Art of Aging, information and tips on how to experience life more abundantly as we age. Our hosts are John King and Reverend Beth Long Higgins, Executive Director of the Ruth Frost Parker Center in Marion, Ohio, an initiative of the United Church Homes. Hi, Beth. Today, we're going to look at aging from a different angle. What if we could conquer chronic diseases, extend our lives, or even live forever? What technologies are being developed, and what are some of the ethical issues we need to think about? Our guest is Dr. Tracy Trothan, who is on the faculty at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Tracy has written several books on technology and ethics, particularly about how it relates to prolonging life. Tracy will be doing the keynote address at this year's Parker Symposium. There'll be more information on how to register for the symposium at the end of this podcast. We are very excited to host her at this year's symposium and to have this conversation with her on the podcast. Some of the people that are most into extending life are billionaires, like Jeff Bezos or Google's super-secret Calico research. What does that say about the ethics of the pro-longevity movement? Elon Musk may be on Mars while the rest of us have died. <laughs> That's uh, exactly right. And on top of that, not only are they the, the very wealthy, but they tend to be the Euro-American white male scientists. Not all, but quite a few. So then you've got a certain subset of perspectives and worldviews and experiences that are informing what technologies are even designed or imagined at the beginning. So how do we step back and encourage a principle of co-design whereby people from different marginalized groups, their voices are heard too at the early consultative stages about what is it that we wanna create? What do we think will make us truly better? What does it mean to be better? And that's a question of values. So, you know, the values that we hold will inform the tech that we design and the tech that we use. I had lunch today with somebody that is in remission because he had stem cell treatment for his multiple myeloma. I'm certainly grateful, as I'm sure he is very grateful for that technology. What are some of the concerns about that? That is very congruent and in line with a, a lot of um, the religions, which is an interest of mine, of course. And there's a healing mandate in almost all of the world religions. So what does it mean to heal? How do we heal? Having that kind of stem cell technology and research just strikes me as a, a huge good thing that we want more of that. I mean, there are a lot of issues that we need to look into and explore around things like gene editing, which is related to the stem cell science in some, in some ways and genetic modification technologies. So what does it mean to adjust, change, fix, cure us at a building block kind of genetic level. And how do we do that? And how do we make it available to all people? But at the same time, we also have to stand back and say, a lot of this technology, like CRISPR, which is a gene editing technology, is very promising. And a lot of it, though, most of it is very, very new. So there are unknown potential side effects down the line. And we need to, I think, hold that up consciously to say, yeah, this looks really promising, but we can't be certain of all the long-term effects. 
However, like you're saying, with someone with blood cancer, that is a deadly form of blood cancer, uh, long-term isn't really much of an issue, is it? So if we want to live and value life and enjoy life now, and there's a technology, stem cell research, um, gene editing, gene modification that we can use now to buy us more time, most of us are interested in that. Now, some people will stand back and say, you know, this is just a little too complicated and maybe it's a little too uh, costly for society. Maybe I don't want to go there. Maybe I, I'm going to weigh uh, some pros and cons here and maybe I'm okay with anticipating um, dying. But I think for many of us, we would highly value a few extra years. Doesn't CRISPR show promise in curing several serious chronic diseases such as type 1 diabetes? Yes, type 1 cancers, all kinds of different awful medical conditions, muscular dystrophy, cystic fibrosis. There's research going on in all those areas to see how we might use gene editing and gene modification uh, tools and knowledge to be able to help people with those conditions. And wouldn't that be wonderful to be able to lessen suffering in that way? Many of these diseases are incredibly expensive to treat. Maybe if they could be cured through gene editing, it would save money in the long run, even beyond the huge reduction in people's suffering. Well, I would tend to agree. And, and how can we really judge the value of a life, right? To say that this is too much money for even one life. Uh, I don't think that we can make that judgment because a life would supersede any amount of money unless... We're talking about a scarce amount of money, whereby if one person gets that care, then a whole bunch of other people do not. And we have to ask about that. We also do need to ask the question of how far is too far? And this is a question that I've heard many people ask, and I ask it myself, right? Are there limits? What are those limits to how far we should take our science and technology in terms of how we change being human? Uh, are there limits at all? One thing that you mentioned that rings true with me is what about population? We already have a rapidly growing population. If we extend people's lives significantly, when is Social Security going to run out? Will there be enough jobs? Exactly. I think you're right. So we've got lots of questions around jobs, the economy, population density, climate change. Now, proponents of this tech will say that although it will take a little bit of time for the technology to trickle down to all layers of society, it will happen and that process will speed up. And not only that, but along with life extending technology for humans, we're going to be developing technologies that will protect the environment, that will make our world a better place. I'm doubtful, again, because I haven't seen it work that way yet. I've seen too much of attention to the, the very wealthy, the very powerful, at the expense often on the backs of people who are in the social margins, which who form the great majority of the world. So if we start seeing one group of people living for a very, very long time, so you're wealthy, you're very powerful, I think that they're going to become even more likely to keep living because it will be um, outrunning death. If you can make it the next 50 years, then by then we'll have more technology to be able to help you live even longer and longer. It's like having a lot of money that people would pass on in their family after they die. So that if the money is decently managed, then it just increases 
exponentially over time. And you get this widening gulf between those who are privileged and those who are not. In this case, a widening gulf, I think, between those who are living much longer than those who are not. And that will also compound the division between the very wealthy and the very poor. Because if you live longer, of course, you have more and more time to keep accumulating uh, that money and to continue to access and fund the leading edge technologies that will be focused, I think, increasingly on keeping people with the power alive. So it's a dangerous dynamic here that we're risking. As long as we live in a world that is filled with power imbalances, I think technology has the big risk of widening those imbalances. Aren't there some areas where there is resistance to technological restoration, such as cochlear implants? I understand not all deaf people want to have their hearing improved. Often we can rush to make quick judgments about what it means to make us better, what it means to fix us, when we may not need fixing at all. In fact, it may be the rest of the world that needs the fix. So while they can help people to hear, not everybody necessarily wants to be part of the hearing world. There is a deaf culture that, that is highly valued. So what do we do with that? Well, a lot of that has to come down to, I think, creating options for people. And if technology can um, provide ways for us to feel more whole, more connected to our sense of well-being or our sense of spirituality, then perhaps it's a really good thing. And having more options can be a great thing on its own. Should extending our lives be a personal choice? To focus on questions of radical life extension and prolongevity, living for as long as we can from a purely choice perspective. We all make our own decisions. We get information, we weigh the information, and we make decisions and move on. And that choice should be respected by other people. Now, I think that there's a lot of dangers here. The focus on individual choice and extreme individualism has really grown in North America for the last number of, of, of years. So that what I think that we risk is not caring about the other person, not being able to see that my choice isn't actually just about me. It affects everybody else in some way or another. We really need to explore, particularly when we're looking at aging adults, you know, the, the effects of ageism on, on these technologies. How does the implicit belief that as we age, we become of less value affect the distribution of these technologies? Or will we focus on those who are um, oldest in order to uh, try to save their lives before they die. I have my doubts about that. I think that it's much more to do with money. I think as we age, we tend to look at life more spiritually. So for, for some people uh, of different religions, the meaning of life and of life as being uh, something that, that does end and doesn't last forever is part of their religion. And there's no good reason to try to overcome that that there is an acceptance that in the monotheistic religions like um, Christianity, for example, that there is heaven after we die and there's something better to look forward to, something wholer, something more connected, more profound, uh, a life that is a true life that extends forever and ever. So 
there ought not be as much fear around dying, except that it's the unknown for us, what it will actually look like. For other people in the karmic religions about who believe in reincarnation, uh, again, dying isn't that big a deal because you become reborn. Now, it may be a big deal if you've generated some really bad karma and you know you have got a lot of work to do um, if you don't want to be reborn into some uh, lower realm that is really pretty horrible. So there are those faith issues to consider. And how do you maintain your religious integrity? At what point do you walk away from what your faith is in the quest to live longer or forever? Or is living forever congruent with what you believe? And for some uh, people, it is very congruent. There isn't a contradiction there. There is an attempt to try to live as Christians believe, for example, um, as people who are created in the image of a creating God. So people, from this perspective, it would be believed that people are meant to co-create, to really do the best they can with science and technology to improve our lives, to help us to enjoy and appreciate the sacredness of life for as long as possible. And in ways, though, that are really about life enhancement for a diverse global and beyond community. So can that be done? Or at what point do we cross those lines? So that's the question of approaching radical life extension technologies uh, from a, a perspective about what it means to be human. What do we value most about being human? Will these technologies fit? Do we really want a perfect body or a perfect life? And if you're able to achieve those, what impact does that have on faith? If perfect means without flaw, then again, who decides what a flaw is? Because what's a flaw to me may not be a flaw to you. You know, and how do we get to the root of what it is that we really truly desire when we're given so many messages socially about what we should desire? How do we get to that root of what does it mean to be perfect? So if we say, though, that being perfect is not being without flaw, but being perfect, and this is more in a uh, religious sense, uh, is about completeness or wholeness then that may change, I think that does change the conversation around seeking perfection. So if I'm seeking not to be without flaw or not to be without some person's idea of a flaw, then, um, and, and I am seeking though to become complete. Uh, and if I understand complete as a journey, how will or how could technology help me to become more complete? What does it mean to be a complete and a whole person? It may well be that technology is not needed so much there. I think technology is needed to some degree because technology is applied science. Technology is our healthcare system. We get a lot of really wonderful things, as we've been saying, out of the healthcare system and expertise that we that we have in this world. And I think that will continue to get better and better. We'll have more and more interventions. Tell me about some of the research into uploading your mind into a computer. Is this a way to live forever? Mind uploading, as it is often called. So there are these technologies which have always been the stuff of, uh, or long been the stuff of science fiction. And they're seen as things that aren't apt to happen. Cryogenics, you know, freezing our bodies or our heads to um, revive at some future time when we have the medical know-how to be able to 
to heal a horrible disease or stop aging, for example. So will these things happen? I don't know. I, I'm skeptical. Uh, at the same time, I do know that there is ongoing research into all those areas, including mind uploading. You know, how do we transfer at least parts of ourselves into a computer? There have been lots of TV shows like on Netflix on, on this uh, very topic. So it's something that is a set of science fiction, and yet it is also being scientifically researched. And there has apparently been some progress on uploading aspects of our brains. Uh, one thing that concerns me there, is our self, our essence, reducible to our brain? Is our mind even reducible to our brain, to that one organ? I don't think it is. You look at people like dancers or artists or athletes or anyone who's been doing anything that involves not just your rational self. And people will talk about how I was creating without even knowing what I was doing consciously and 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 there it was or my mind turned off but I kept going and was able to accomplish this this incredible athletic feat that I'm not sure how I accomplished it there was something extra there there was something more than that defied our rational ability to reduce it to any words let alone an organ in the body like the brain so can mind uploading potentially capture the whole human being. That's a discussion of a lot of debate uh, at the moment. And I think that most of us are probably pretty skeptical, but we'll see. I believe that there is something good about some of our vulnerabilities and limitations um, that maybe we don't need to go that far away from who we are already, that there may be things we lose. It might be if we rely too heavily on digitalization, that we don't you know, help ourselves to learn new things in different ways, to expand our imaginations even. Is there value in that vulnerability, that fragility? We lean on each other. If we take away all the vulnerability and we're able to remove much of the fragility through a lot of these technological innovations, Will we seek to not need each other in the same ways? Will we become more fragmented? Will the color of our lives become more muted? I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little old school in that, but I don't think I am. I, I think there's something of value there that we don't want to lose. The question is, can we engage technology? I think we can uh, without losing that, without further marginalizing those who are already socially marginalized and devalued because we want to fix things, because we have this um, normative idea, this mainstream idea of what it is to be whole, of what it is to be as we should be, right? And, and that can get amplified, I think, you know, that division between those who aren't whole and those who supposedly are. And I would question what it means to be whole. Not all tech rests on ideas of wholeness that people from a spiritually informed realm would see as wholeness, for example. Tracy Troffin will be the keynote speaker at the Ruth Frost Parker Center's annual symposium on Friday, September 30th. There'll be opportunities to participate in person or virtually. And registration begins August 1 on the Ruth Frost Parker Center's website. This podcast was funded in part by the Dayton Foundation Del Mar Encore Fellows Initiative. 
and the Ruth Frost Parker Center for Abundant Aging, a program of United Church Homes. Audio production and interviews were conducted by Delmar Fellow Eric Johnson. <laughs>